You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Good to be with you guys. My name is Riz, the pastor here at Reality Honolulu. If I have not yet met you, um, well, welcome. Glad to have you here at Reality. Uh, we're just grateful for what God is doing in our midst and just blessed to be able to gather in this space um, that the Lord has provided, as Derek said. God's just, over the last almost six years now, we're a church, and God has really opened so many doors for us to be in public schools, and we're just rubbing arms with uh, non-believers and a, a lot of need, and so as a church, we've been able to really partner with them, and uh, they're really gracious to allow us to have a home as well um, here at the school to do church, and so... Um, thankful to have you guys. Uh, let me go ahead and pray. We're going to get into the Word of God this morning in our series in the book of Proverbs. Let me pray over our time this morning. God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that as we open its pages, as we look at the words in it, we want to be reminded that this is your Word, that it's God-breathed and God-inspired, and it's it's profitable to us. It's for our teaching and for our correction and for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God might be adequately equipped for good works that you've set before us. And so God, as, as followers, as disciples, really meaning we're students, we want to sit under the authority of your word this morning and we want to hear what it says not only intellectually, but we want to receive it on a deep heart level because we know that your Holy Spirit wants to actually transform us from the inside out. And God, as, as we look at Proverbs this morning and what your word says concerning money, this is a subject that can be complicated or not talked about or avoided or perhaps confusing to know really how to navigate it all. We thank you that your word is our guide to it. Thank you that your word has a lot to say about it. And we just ask that you would receive and transform us so that we would be more like you with the things that you've given us in our life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us for any amount of time, this summer we are in a summer sermon series in the book of Proverbs. And instead of going verse by verse, really for time's sake, we are looking at different topics that are highlighted in the book of Proverbs each week. And really, the author of Proverbs, it, there's, there's not a... It covers a lot, but there's certain topics that the author highlights, and it's not haphazardly. They're really important topics in life, and the goal is to not only talk about that, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would live our lives uh, to make godly, God-honoring choices with these topics in our life. And so, so far this summer, we've looked at everything from pride versus humility, friendship, controlling the tongue, the posture of our heart, honesty, integrity, justice. And last week we worked, uh, we looked at work ethic. Different topics that 
the, the author of Proverbs highlights, and so we've been kind of doing a topical study on this book. And so today, kind of ending our topics by speaking on money. Thanks for this, Dak. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, he's been helping to navigate, uh, kind of orchestrate and architect the series, which has been incredible. And I'm excited to talk about money. But it's funny because, you know, a lot of times we think when we go to a family gathering, what are the things that culturally, what's the sentiment we're not supposed to talk about? Religion? Politics? And I would add money. Right? That would, that's, a, that's a kind of a common sentiment. Things you avoid to not cause drama because there's so many different opinions. But today we're going to get into it. And as much as it's not talked about, this idea of money, or it can be a little off limits or complicated. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about it. Proverbs has a lot to say about it. Jesus had a lot to say about it. The Bible on a whole talks about it more than you would expect, and it's for good reasons. Uh, there's a book that's great. It's called Redeeming Money by Paul David Tripp, pastor and author. In one of those chapters, a quote, he says this, concerning money matters, okay? Concerning money matters, he said, there is just no getting around them. But it's not unspiritual to think about them, to be concerned about them, or even talk of them often. In a significant way, your life will be shaped by what you think about money, and in a way that is inescapable, somehow, some way, your heart will struggle with money. Money is a big deal, he says. But it's even a bigger deal in a world that seems to have gone financially insane. Money is such a big deal that in Christ's teaching ministry, it was one of, the favorite and one of his most favorite and most important topics. Rather than avoiding money matters or talking about them with timidity, as many pastors do, Jesus talked about the topic all the time. You may not know it, but Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven. He talked about money more than he talked about hell. Out of the 39 parables recorded in the Gospels, 11 talk about money. Almost every page of the Gospel of Luke is dyed with this conversation. This conversation about money is not just there in the ministry of Jesus, but is a significant theme throughout all of Scripture. The biblical discussion of money tends to divide into two categories— the danger of money, and the blessing of money. So again, that's why we're talking about money, is that it's a subject, right, that we kind of feel like it's off limits, but even Jesus himself, even the biblical authors, even God and all his sovereignty, in a word, the word that we have, it's talked about more than any other subject. And so, since we're in the book of Proverbs, I want to talk, I want to just, share with you all the verses. It's not exhaustive, because that would take a little time. But there's a lot of verses that Proverbs says about money. Uh, I'm going to break it into categories for you guys. If you're taking notes, you can just take kind of the addresses. But again, this is just a sample of what the book of Proverbs says. And um, so here we go. Let's just let the Word of God speak to us. Um, and so Proverbs, first category is hard work and wealth Proverbs. Proverbs 10.4 says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 12.11, 
Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Proverbs 14, 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. There's, there's proverbs that speak on greed, right? The love of money, the desire of it, right? Proverbs 1, 19 says, such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Proverbs twenty two sixteen, one who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and one who gives gifts to the rich, both come to poverty. Proverbs 22, 22 through 23, do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court for the Lord will take up their cause and will exact life for life. Proverbs also talks about debt. Again, these are just samples. There's a lot there. But Proverbs 17, 18 says, One who has no sense shakes hands in pledge and puts up security for a neighbor. Proverbs 22, 7, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Proverbs 22, 26 through 27, Do not be the one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Again, I know there's a lot there, and it could be triggering or whatever, so just hang with me. And some of you, you're like, that's not true. Like, okay, just let the Word of God speak. Let the Word of God speak. Proverbs also talks about investing money. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Proverbs 27, 23 through 24 says, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. So again, the reason why I bring this up is that like anything in Proverbs that we've gone over, there is a choice really in everything. Right? So much of life is about the choices we make. And again, Proverbs isn't supposed to be viewed as absolute. 100% of the time, if you do that exactly, then that'll exactly happen. We still live in a fallen world. This is not heaven. This is not perfect. Stuff happens. But these are rather a guide. Like the whole point of Proverbs is our, our wise sentiments that are supposed to guide us into the life God made for all of us, the way he designed it, and really to change the way we view stuff and how we use stuff. Right? And so, like, we would say, hey, that, that's a wise proverb, or that's a proverb from this, you know, culture. These are biblical, God-ordained proverbs. These are wise sentiments that God has put forth as guides to us. An example, or maybe a metaphor, would be Proverbs is like you're on a highway, you're on a freeway or a road, and Proverbs are like guardrails and signs. You still have to drive the car. You still have to choose to go the right direction. You just have to choose if you want to obey the speed limit or not. But there's guardrails and there's signs telling you 
like, don't drive off the road and don't go that fast or here's the exit. Your choice, your choice though, if you want to obey it or not. Proverbs is like that. And so when it comes to money, it's not like these are like exacts because obviously each of us in our own life have specific money stuff. We have specific jobs and you have a rent or a mortgage or you have certain bills or all of us daily are having to make choices about money. Like it's a choice. Do you go eat out lunch after or do you go home and make lunch? Money choice. Right? Like, do I take that trip or not? Money choice. Do I spend this much money on that? That's a money choice. It's a choice. And money, just like time, is a daily decision. There's a thousand of them a day that we have to make. And so, if anything, what Proverbs is doing is it's laying out the way in which God designed us to deal with money. The Bible does that. He's laying out, hey, this is the way to a blessed, fruitful, God-honoring way. But also he says, but also here's the way, if you don't do that, here's where you'll end up also. There's contrast all throughout Proverbs. I mean, that's what we've gone over every single week in all these different topics, not just money. With work ethic and with integrity and justice and there's always these contrasts. Hey, this is the way that we, leads to life. But if you don't follow that, this is the way that leads to destruction. And so Proverbs is really good for those of you that like to live more in the very tangible, just tell me what I need to do. I don't want to live in the ethereal. Like, just tell me how I ought to live a life that honors God. Just go to Proverbs. Just go to the Bible in general. But Proverbs is really clear cut. Like, there's not a whole lot of, like, guessing to what it's saying or what it's meaning. But I think a few simple questions that I think would be helpful for all of us, myself included today, that as a faith family and followers of the way of Jesus, that would be good for all of us to ask and I would say wrestle with. All of us are going to wrestle with this, with this at one time or another. I have three questions that I want to just propose and speak on a little bit. And my, my hope and prayer is just to have us, like, take 30 minutes and ask ourselves, you know, rhetorically or in your journal, what are the answers to these questions? Okay, so one is, who is money from? Like, what do we believe about that? Because here's, here's the only really two options. We either think money is from us and our hard work, it's our education, our skills, and our inheritance, and any money we've had is ours and ours alone that we've made or saved. It's all us. Or we believe that any money or any, you know, anything we have is a gift from God. And all of the money we have, whether it's a little or a lot, is a blessing, and we don't own it. It's actually not ours. God does, and we're just stewards of that money. That is very different. It's very different. 
Because even the way, even like those of us that have been walking with Jesus for decades, even in our vernacular, right, we say, oh, I need to surrender my money to the Lord. You're like, we missed it. I need to pray about what I should do with my money and how much I should give away. Okay, we missed it. Because you see how we're even saying it's ours. This is ours. This is my little kingdom. That's my bank account. This is my credit card. This is mine. And then I'm going to go, God, how much do you want? I'm speaking from, like, personal experience because we, we do that. But really, what the Bible tells us is everything that we have is a gift from God. None of it's actually ours. Instead of owners of our stuff, we're stewards of it. So if you know anything about stewardship, stewards don't own anything, but they're responsible for taking care of the stuff. It's owned by someone else. So think about that. That's why you hear this idea of like biblical stewardship or we're supposed to uh, have this idea of as Christians, we're supposed to steward what God has given us. That is... If, if, if you get anything out of today, you walk and say, hey, Riz was using his hands a lot. He was saying a lot of words. I didn't understand him. So just go here. Just, just do this then. Think about, is the stuff that you have, do you view it as you're a steward or an owner? Because, again, we live in this world where you do own stuff. We all own things, possessions. But as Christians, right, this is not actually our home. This is actually not our stuff. It's all of God's. And instead of us going, well, it's all mine. It's my kingdom. A proper biblical view is going, oh, I'm just stewards for 80 years. Or however long the Lord allows us to be here. We're just stewards of all the stuff. I don't know about you, but if you can get to that space where you actually feel like you don't own anything, but it's all God's, and maybe he gives you a litter a lot, and you're just supposed to take care of it responsibly. It will give you incredible freedom. Because it's actually not all up to you. It's not your stuff. It's God's. Again, that doesn't mean don't, that God's not going to give some of us a lot of it. Because even the book of Proverbs is very aware that, like, hey, saving and inheritance and investing well, it's not like a poverty mentality. But it's rather of, well, who do we think money's from? How did you get your stuff? Because most of the world is like, I worked for everything. I made my fortune myself. You're like, okay, well, I know that you actually did, but who gave you the mind and the brain and the breath of life and those opportunities and your hard work ethic all from God? But again, many people just don't believe that, but that's why I want to challenge us. Who is money from? What do we believe about it? Secondly, what is it for? What do we believe money's for? Like, what is it for? So we either think, right, there's two sides of this coin. Either we think, well, money is just entirely mine, and it's up to my own discretion and my own desires and passions, and it's purely whatever I want to do to make me most happy or self-fulfilled. Money's just, uh, just not only for survival, but it's for whatever I want to do with it, because it's mine, right? That's one, that's one side of the coin. Or we believe that any money that we have 
is God's provision to provide for our needs. And also it's a tool to bless others and a resource to give to the building of God's kingdom here on earth. Again, that is very different. Right? Because if you just are like, well, money is for whatever I need and want it to be. And it stops there. Again, then it's going to be really self-serving only. And again, I understand I'm talking to a room with very different financial situations and histories. But just, again, just receive the concepts and allow it to play out however it plays out. So again, what is money for? Okay, well, it's either just for me and whatever I want to do with it. Or, biblically, what we see is that money is God's provision for us. Because he cares about us. Right? He, he wants to give us enough to live and have a roof over it. Like he, he's giving us resources so that we can live because he cares about us. But also, it doesn't stop there. We see that God gives us not only money, but our time and our talents and our giftings to bless other people. Like it's literally what it's made for. Like money, a part of what God, why God even gives you financial resources I would say a third of that or whatever is to bless other people. And then kind of connected, but the other third is so that we all could be a part of building God's kingdom here on earth. Because, I mean, think about it. Christianity started in the Middle East, in Israel, 2,000 years ago. How has it spread to the whole earth? How are we here today? It's because Christians throughout centuries, what have they done? They've given to churches. They've given to missionaries. They've given to organizations. Like It's money, time, and people have spread the gospel to the world. So instead of money being like a bad thing, money is actually like a key resource for any of God's kingdom to even happen. Every church that has ever existed, ours included, everyone on island, everyone on the mainland, everyone for the last 2,000 years had to have money. <laughs> and they had to have people giving their time. And they had to have people helping serve in that church. Like, their time, talent, and treasure. If Christians for the last 2,000 years didn't view money the way that God views it, the church just would have stopped right in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Done. If you read, if you want to, don't, don't believe me, read Acts chapter 2 and 3. Blow your mind. I'll tell you how crazy the early church was. So, right, Jesus and his disciples, 12 disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches that sermon at Pentecost. Like 3,000 people get saved. Okay, so now the church is like at least 3,000 people. What happens? Everyone brings all of their resources to the church. And then what happens is the early church disperses all of the resources to all the church and everyone in need so that more churches can be planted and more missionaries sent out and all of the church cared. I mean, it was crazy how much, like, generosity and giving and togetherness for the furthering of God's kingdom we see at the early church. And it's 
pretty incredible if you actually look at like the historicity of Christianity, of a movement of belief from Israel 2,000 years ago to how many evangelical churches exist in the world some 2,000 years later. It's incredible because Christians before us went, oh, well, my stuff isn't my stuff. It's all God's, and so let's build his kingdom and let's go forth. It's pretty incredible. It's encouraging that we're just not alone in this, but so many saints before us have viewed God's provision and a tool for blessing and a resource to build his kingdom. So that's number two. Get, I'm getting close, guys. Don't worry. Third question is, it's a big one. How attached are we to our money? Right? So if we talk about, well, you know, who is money from? What is it for? Okay. Intellectually, we can understand what I said. But now the hardest part, but how attached are we to it? I'm sure you would agree on the last two points. But this third one is where it gets really personal because, like Paul David Tripp said, it doesn't matter who you are and how spiritual you are or how we're all going to struggle with our relationship with money and loving it too much. Right? Because we, we either think, again, we either think money is all important. The things of this world are the primary driving desire of my life, and I have a set of dreams that I want to accomplish, and that is my ultimate driving force to get those things, and then I've made it, right? That's, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is our view of money is that we're just thankful that God gives us it, and we're content with the little or the much, and we're open-handed, and we have a flexible grip with it. Again, that is way easier said than done. But again, that is supposed to be our posture. Right? Like, in general, money is actually supposed to be, like, pretty neutral. Like, it's a means to an end. It's just supposed to provide our needs, and we have some of it so we can bless others, and we can help build God's kingdom. We're not supposed to, like, love it and cherish it. And, I mean, this is the story of humanity like, so much of death and wars and conquering kingdoms has been for resources and money and status and power and, I mean, you name it, right? That's the story of humanity, of creation. We thirst after it. We desire more of it. We have trouble being content with what we have. Like, money and the love of it is at the core of the problem. That's why the Gospels even say, it's like, for where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Like, what, are we, what, is, what do we treasure most? Things of God's kingdom or the things of this world, right? That's like the story of Scripture is really getting to the heart of the matter. It's our relation to money. Because, again, intellectually, you can understand what money, where it comes from, what it's for, but how our attachment to it. That's where I think the Holy Spirit, in, every, in, in all of us, myself included, wants to give us a better, probably, view of it. Because, again, our hearts have a lot of trouble not getting wrapped up with the love of it and what it can do for us. That's why the love of money is the caution, not money itself. 
Money itself is supposed to be neutral, but the love of it is the dangerous part. So kind of to end in maybe some application, sometimes it's helpful, I think, to have an idea of what characteristics a Christian should have to strive to model a godly life. And again, if there was ever a picture of what Jesus' followers should look like or how we should be different compared to others, I think there's like three big ones. As followers of Jesus, there's a few things that should set us apart. One is sacrificial love towards others. One is radical generosity. Is one, and one is partnership in building his kingdom. So sacrificial love. Hear me out. The way in which we're supposed to view other people, friends and enemies alike, is that we are to love them because God loved us. Right? The way we model love towards others should be reflective of the cross. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? We weren't God's friend. We didn't, you know, humanity didn't, didn't love Jesus and they didn't follow Jesus. God sent his only son to die for us in the person of Jesus because he loved us despite us loving him. Like loving others when they don't deserve it. Forgiving others when they don't deserve it. Giving grace to others when they don't deserve it. And giving mercy when they don't deserve it is the way of the follower of Jesus. Which is so countercultural. Right? The way that most of the world lives is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, like a tit for a tat. Like, you did that. I'm going to end you. I'm going to retaliate. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. <laughs> and what the Christian actually should mark the Christian. Again, remember what our name means. Christian means little Christ. We're supposed to model and show and tell the love of Jesus to those around us. And a lot of times it's going to be in a sacrificial way. We'll have to die to ourselves and die to our wants and what we need to love those as Christ loved us. See that? Next is radical generosity. Over the last two millennia, our brothers and sisters in Christ before us, what has marked them in the world is giving to others. Whether that's their time, their talent, their treasure. They've been radically generous. Radically generous to those around us. And again, the reason why Christians specifically are supposed to model generosity is because we are to have this belief that all we need for ourselves, Christ will provide for us. We believe that God is our creator God and a God that sustains our lives and he's provider and he will provide our every need. And so we can be radically generous because we come from a different, really, different mindset, different framework, different worldview, because we believe that God provides our every need. And again, we can be radically generous because it models the character of Christ that gave his all for us. Radical generosity is the way of Jesus and the way of the Christian. And again, it's part, and, and, and thirdly, it's partnership in building his kingdom. We are here to be Christ's ambassadors to usher in and display the kingdom of God to this fallen world. Like, who else is going to do it? No, no, seriously, though. Like, if it's not Christians, well, then, because I think we always think, well, someone else will do it. Like, who? 
here in Hawaii, it's, it's all of us here and now partnered with our brothers and sisters at all the other church meeting right now. Like, we're the only ones on this island currently that are going to show and tell people about Jesus. Like, we are the ones to partner with God to build his kingdom. And again, this is also biblical. God works through us and not independently from us. God works through his people. That doesn't mean that God can't do and doesn't do miracles. But if you look at the Bible and if you look at Christianity and you ask yourself, how has God moved in your life? It's through each other. God uses our time and our talent and our treasure to be his witnesses in the world to see his kingdom come. It's pretty incredible that God would allow us and choose us. We have the privilege to be used by him for the furthering of his kingdom. So in a nutshell, I'm ending, I'm landing the plane, I know. In a nutshell, God gives us money to care for us, to meet our needs, but is also he gives it to us so we can bless and serve others and be a part of the building of his kingdom. So as we enter into a time of worship now, we're going to sing a few more songs. We're going to reflect on the character and goodness of God. As you're sitting there, whether you're sitting in your seats, reflecting on the sermon, whether you're up here on the carpets kneeling in a posture of surrender, whether you're standing up and raising your hands, know these things. God has grace on how we have or haven't viewed money. Like, don't sit here going, oh my goodness, I am so far off the, off the map of what I should. That's okay. We all are in one way or another. But God has so much grace on how we have or haven't viewed money. And God wants to meet us where each of us are at this morning. God wants to transform us and change us and how we view and use the resources he's given us. Again, it's a process. We're all works in process. We've got a, we've got a long time with Jesus, and the goal is just to become a little bit more like him all the time. And again, God wants us to be free from the love of the gifts that he gives us and rather put our love and adoration towards the giver himself and our Father who's in heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you ultimately are creator, God. You are sustainer, your provider, and thank you, Lord, that it's not up to us to actually, you know, be our own God of our life, so to speak. It's actually not meant to be. But rather, each of us in this room, with the little or lot that you've given us, are just supposed to be stewards, and we're just supposed to, to use what you've given us for your glory and for the good of those around us. Thank you that that's really freeing, Lord. That's really freeing. We're, we're so grateful for your, your word that reminds us of these things. We just thank you that you're God and we're not. You're in control and we're not. And Lord, we do pray for heart change. We pray for more of you in our life. We pray for a continuation of growth that we'd become more 
Christ-centered. We'd be more sacrificially loving. We'd be more radically generous. We'd partner with you to see your kingdom come that much more. But God, as we sing these lyrics, as we strum these chords, as we spend a few more minutes in musical worship, all of us in this room can praise you today for your grace. None of us deserve to be saved. None of us deserve to be in this room. None of us deserve to be used by you, because, but because you're our Heavenly Father, you, you, we're your kids, and you want your kids to partner with you to see the family's kingdom come. We're just in awe that you want to do that with us, and so we thank you for this time, Lord. Pray bless these next few minutes of worship. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.